Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. I talk to the tree. Stop and hear what I say. Come on around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, your outdoor living hour. It's Rosie on the house, and it's the second Saturday of the month. So, yes, we are talking trees, and we've got two great guests in studio with us this morning. We've got Sarah Maitland, the tree health care director with Save a Tree, and we've got Richard Atkins of the Gilbert Arborist, consulting arborist. Uh, both have been in studio with us uh before, but glad to. I, I don't think y'all have ever been here together, though. No, we haven't. No, it's great to be here. Great to have y'all. Thank you for coming. And we're going to start off like we always do, talking trees with our tree of the month. And it's a pretty. I don't know that we've covered this one before either. I'm not sure if we have either, but it's a very different tree. Um, it used to be grown by mountain states. I'm not sure who's growing it right now, but it's the Celtis reticulata, and it's a native tree. And we find it going from elevations, it, I think, 2,000 to 3,500. Um, and we find it native in riparian areas along washes. And my, my best experience, I've seen it hiking out at Seven Springs Recreation Area. Um, but my best experience was um, I was on a horseback ride at the Rancho de la Osa. It's a guest ranch down on the border of Mexico. And they were 60 feet tall, and they were magnificent. Um, but it's it's kind of a scraggly-looking tree. They they say it's kind of homely when it's young. <laughs> and um, But as it grows and matures, it becomes really incredible. Yeah, it's like um, what you were saying. It's kind of gangly and unattractive when it's young in its youth, but it grows into a mature beautiful big shade tree that's really good for not a formal landscape but a more of an informal desert landscape it's a tree you don't want to confuse it with the desert hackberry which is a smaller spinier version that you can find in our landscapes around here but the reticulata it's actually a very nice large tree excellent bird habitat and there are some nice specimens growing around the valley and when you're talking about it being scraggly and unattractive and gangly one of the things that we do when we plant trees, I mean, we immediately start trying to make it perfect. Every single, you know, trim and, and prune and, and everything perfect. Do you just have to, like, ignore it while it's growing for the first five, six bit. years? Yeah, just kind of <laughs> let it go for at least the first two and let it try to define its space. And then you can touch it up a little bit and it'll do the same for another couple of years. I mean, just think about a teenager. And then you've got to, and then it finally starts to mature and take its shape. And it has a really scratchy, almost a sandpaper type of feel to the leaves. So it's not something you want to rub up against and, and, you know, it's not that pleasant. But it is evergreen. And as the tree matures, it starts to get this molted bark that's almost like warts. And it's very unique and very cool. A warty tree. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at images now. I don't know the tree. Uh, but it... But it's apparently pretty tough. It'll withstand strong winds, air pollution, drought, energy-conserving shade tree. Its toughness makes this hackberry an excellent choice for just about any landscape, provided you have ample space for its dense root system. As long as you have ample <laughs> space for it. Yeah. It's fairly cold-hardy. Um, I've seen it growing all the way from Safford up to Prescott, Prescott Valley, going up to Payson. 
And then, you know, even down south, Tucson, all the way through to Yuma, you can find it in washes there as well as some landscapes. And when we're, Rosie was just mentioning, you know, the, if you've got the size for the root canopy, we always talk about, right, you know, the right tree in the right space. Define the, the right space for this. It doesn't sound like this would be a great thing for, you know, maybe an eighth acre lot. You, you might need something a little bigger than that. Right. Definitely not your patio home tree. Um, <laughs> you definitely, if you're going to have a quarter acre lot or something back 40, because it is a good wildlife tree. So you definitely want to give it space and then give animal space to be able to, you know, hang out in it. But you're going to need you know, a good section out in the back 40, so to speak, to where it can really mature. Because a crown can get out to 35, 40-foot spread easily. Nice. Yeah, and they're very drought tolerant, which is really important. But you mentioned um, the berries earlier, and it's, it's a native tree, so it's really good for our native wildlife. And I didn't know that butterflies eat the leaves of trees. Butterflies eat, uh, they'll eat the, well, the caterpillars will eat the leaves. Okay, and, it, and then, it. of course, the flowers were fairly inconspicuous, but the bees will come to them as well. And then, like I said, the berries, while we can eat the berries, honestly, I don't find them that tasty, but they're, they're not, <laughs> yeah. you know, harmful. But the birds really do relish them, and they will definitely keep your bird population happy. One really unique thing I learned about the reticulata when I was out camping at a mine claim once, um, the bark or the wood, it actually kind of dances in the fire with different sparkly lights. It was really interesting, and I only confirmed it because I was camping again in Arkansas and did it with the Celtis occidentalis, which is the eastern form of it, and it sparkled also. So I've not tried it with the palata, but... Um, I don't want anyone to go cutting one down just to burn the wood, but it was it was something that fascinated me. Sounds like a good camping trick for you know when when you're hosting out of state relatives. <laughs> so that is our tree of the month, the Canyon Hackberry, and you can read more about it at RosieOnTheHouse.com in today's broadcast. And we also, in addition to our the tree month. We also have our weekly, our monthly tree to do. And if you'd like to join the conversation and talk trees, it's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. And it sounds funny to be talking about frost protection this early. It's still pretty warm, um, but when frost. I don't know. When the, when it was the, 78 when I woke up yeah. this morning. Oh. Real. I've been wearing a flannel shirt on my back porch it was with a, my coffee. It was a coolness in the air. You can't say Amen. that. Well, we we got friends from Wyoming who called and said, all right, the highest today was 30. We're heading back down to Wickenburg next week. <laughs> so it's it's starting to come. But when the frost hits, the one thing you can't find is any frost cloth. Right. It, it's already gone. So if you wait until it happens – you're you're way behind the eight ball. I have a big roll in my garage that I bought two years ago in anticipation of having frost, and I haven't yet, but, um, but the bag you're company you're is where I go. And, but it's a really large roll. You have to buy 250 feet that are 12 feet wide, and so Arizona Bag has frost cloth, um, but it's a big bag. Um, other places you can get frost cloth are your garden centers and Home Depot and things like that. I'm intrigued by this role that you're talking about because the canopies that I had, they worked for the trees for about the first two or three years. But now, 
you know, they, they don't cover the canopy and they don't reach the ground. Yeah, that's the place to go because I just put it in an orchard, so I'm ready. <laughs> I got my big roll, and it's actually the least expensive way to buy it, and it's the best quality. When you go to resorts and you see the big white frost cloths that are spread all over the, the annual flowers, that's what they're using, and it's really good quality. So, Well, talk about the proper way to – because it's not just throwing it over the – canopy of the tree. I mean, there's there's more to it than that. Well, I like to cover it all the way down to the bottom and actually put rocks. And if you're going to get a hard freeze, you know, 20 and 15 degrees, you want to not let any cold water in. But there's other things you can do just with growth and, and, and controlling your water to prevent some of the frost damage. Now you do want to give them a good, um, your plants a good water probably the evening before. Because as the water does evaporate, it creates heat, and that heat will come up into the crown and can actually protect a lot of the um, leaf and the foliage there. That's why when you put your covers over them, you don't want to tie it up like a balloon, you know, around the bottom of the trunk or look like a Halloween figurine, you know, sitting there in the, in the front yard. Like Sarah said, you want to keep it all the way down to the ground so it traps that heat up on the inside. It's best if you can also build a frame. I mean, I know that seems like a lot, but if the material— How much is your tree worth to you? How much is the tree worth to you, right. Because um, you really don't want the material sitting on the foliage because that can just damage it by just the transfer of the cold and the ice crystals that come down because that's what actually hurts the plant. It dehydrates the plant as the ice crystals form on the leaf surface. So, I mean, if you could build a frame around your plants to where you put your structure, your cloth over it so it doesn't touch it and then have it all the way to the ground, I mean, that's, of course, the best approach, but any type of protection you can for your, you know, very tender plants that are not like near a south or a west-facing wall, something like that, um, everything's better than nothing, right? And a lot of people are thinking, you guys are crazy talking about this. It never gets cold. Well, about every 10 years, we get a really hard really frost. Really hard frost. There are pictures of the McDowell Mountains covered in snow and all the way down uh, you know, on the desert floor. But the last one that hit, I remember it was about a day or two later because it, was, it wasn't just like one night. It was a couple nights. And I know the plumbers were busy for months repairing frozen water lines that had broken in everyone's attic mm-hmm. and it cre- created a lot of leak but i went to go replace a tree because i had lost one in the frost and i walked into the nursery i asked him like there is nobody here i mean what, are, you, are you guys open he's like i'm the only one here because i sent the rest of the staff home because they've been here all night watering you know just they didn't have enough frost cloth to protect everything mm-hmm. so they just kept running the water running the water running the water all by hand and hoses saving all the trees so it's like that doesn't seem like you water would make it freeze. Right, it seems staying, counterintuitive. It, it does, it does. But it actually, it's, you only need a degree or two change of temperature, and that's what water can do on the soil to keep that temperature kind of even. And then, like I said, if it evaporates, it actually warms up the crown under the tree. And you can't put a light bulb down there if you really are keen and there's, you know, you have a specimen citrus or something. You can put a 100-watt bulb so it's off the ground and not touching the foliage, and especially with the covering like Sarah's talking about. And you just create that extra little heat in there. 
And, and, and you kind of lighten up on your pruning a little bit in the fall, definitely. so you leave that protective um, foliage. The foliage actually, as as it gets cooler nights, will start to harden off a little bit, and that's going to be less susceptible to frost damage than um, fresh vegetative regrowing stuff when you shear tr- plants and bushes and that new foliage comes out, boom, it gets hit hard. Talking trees, and you can join the conversation, one 767 Four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you. Text questions to four one one nine two three, or you can email us at info at Rosie on the house dot com. And we were talking about frost protection going into that last uh, in that last segment, but y'all were talking during the break about something else you can do to help your trees come going into the uh, cold Arizona cold season, Arizona desert cold on, on fall fertilizing just to help them make it through for a uh, great spring harvest, not a harvest, but uh, leaf out. Well, um, fall fertilization is really great. I like to let it get a little bit cooler, um, but the to just help the trees recover from the heat of the summer, um, provide nutrient. The roots are still the soil's still warm enough where the roots are still growing, mm-hmm. and they can absorb it, and 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 it really helps to stabilize them. It's it's good for nutrient. We have a little bit lower nitrogen, I think, it, that we use in the fall. And we use kelp a lot. Um, Save a Tree has a product, a kelp, that's harvested from the North Atlantic, and um, they formulate it, and I, I get really good result with the desert trees with that. Yeah, the desert trees as well as all of our deciduous shade trees. Um, I'm more of a fall uh, proponent for fall fertilization. Spring is good, but like um, Sarah mentioned, our soil temperatures are still relatively high compared to other parts of the country. And just having those nutrients there and the roots taking them up and storing them, when that spring flush comes, they're ready. And the, the leaves and the buds build and the leaves break, and you're not going to miss it with that spring fertilization that comes after. So big proponent of good fall fertilization and incorporating organic material into your soil. Now, for a homeowner, for a do-it-yourselfer, what type of fertilizer, if I'm going out to my local nursery, what am I looking for? Well, generally, we don't like to prescribe uh, fertilization without a soil um, test and analysis. But if you're looking for just a general kind of all-purpose fertilizer, I'm looking for a balanced type fertilizer, a balanced complete, something like a 14-14-14. I like it something that will dissolve, that you can pour in a liquid around the the root zone that's more of something that i would be looking for sarah what do you what do you put well we use a liquid fertilizer also because we feel like a drench from the surface just is the best to get to those feeder roots Um, but we also add a lot of different um, nutrients to it we use the soluble max Um, we add the mycorrhiza um, which is the soluble max we also use biozone um, which is uh, naturally occurring microbes that fight pathogens in the soil. And then we add the kelp. And, and with some products or some trees, we'll use the citrus pH reducer because we find uh, certain trees are more finicky, have not really supposed to be here. 
um, and they don't like our pH, so we can lower the pH even though it's brief because the pH of our water is high. It'll come back up, but it's brief enough to help the tree really kind of take up the product. And you mentioned that about the pH, and that's very important with your micronutrients as well. Correct. you got to have the – if you're putting down some iron or some manganese, it really needs to be a chelated, and you can see that on the label. If it's not really a chelated type of micronutrient, it'll just kind of sit in soil, and it won't be able readily available to be taken up by the tree. And you all both mentioned a liquid application, which is – a little bit more than, than the granular. You know, the granular you just spread around the, you know, the, the drip line right, of the and tree. Work it and in. Work it in. How much liquid are we talking about I, for, for a tree? Do I have to mix 10 gallons of uh, fertilizer? Do I have to mix 20 gallons? I mean, <laughs> you kind of got to read the label. <laughs> yeah, your label, and it depends on the size. Um, usually a couple of five-gallon buckets. I mean, I'm being very general here. So you're talking like a couple of tablespoons of this material and a couple five-gallon buckets and kind of just lightly pour it around the, under the canopy. Every product out there is going to be different, so you really need to read the label. And it should even give you some parameters of diameter of your, your trunk. At, uh, DBH or diameter at breast height is four and a half feet. And, and so it can kind of give you parameters or by canopy size. But read your label because everyone's going to be different. And then if you were doing a granular application, you can do that pretty much any time. But you can't just do the, lay the granule out and let it be. I mean, like you had mentioned, you got to work it in. You have to uh, – it, it doesn't start dissolving till it gets wet, so you got to water it. Right, and, then, and that's a lot of times you'll go – I'll go and visit people, and I'll see the fertilizer just sitting on the ground. <laughs> when we put it down, I was like, well, you have to water it in and then kind of scratch it around with the rake a little bit and work it into, into the soil. Could you take the granular fertilizer, put it in a – gallon sprayer and let it uh <laughs> it does that sound dumb or not it depends well, on the material i'm not saying i did that yeah, but a lot some of it's encapsulated dissolve. right so that it's made for a slow release and so i just tell people if that's what you're going to do pull all your gravel back spread it out there by label and you have to get out there and incorporate it into the soil so it it does release there is some soluble products that are fairly inexpensive that are available, so I invite people to look into that. Great time to fertilize your trees. Great time to uh, make sure you give them a little that, that that extra fertilizer for the spring push. Yeah. What's the tree's least favorite month? September. And we've passed it, so we made it through that. Got a good good full moon coming. We got the Hunter's Moon Hunter's tomorrow moon. night. Talking Trees with Sarah Maitland, Arborist for Save a Tree, along with Consulting Arborist, Mr. Richard Atkins. Thanks for spending y'all's Saturday morning here with us. I remember, I think the first time I really got to hear you uh, speak, Mr. Atkins, it was a, for an event down at the state capitol, probably around Arbor Day because they usually have a, an event down there. And you had a little PA system, and we were walking around the trees that were at the Arizona State Capitol, and mm -hmm. you were just kind of giving a tutorial on each of the tree. And 
And you were talking about the fact that um, a lot of these trees we're going to have to start replacing, which is, and like, you know, you're standing, you're looking at like, well, this, this looks fine. What's the big deal? And you're like, see this branch here? That one's dead. And this one over here, that one's about to die. And we're going to have to cut this one out before it falls on somebody. And these are starting to become hazards because we don't want, you know, if, if somebody got hurt while sitting under the tree, obviously that's a, a liability you don't want. And every time I go by the Capitol now, it seems like there's another little new tree planted here and another new tree planted there. And they're kind of replacing, uh, you know, starting to, to get in that transition. But the trees they're planting now aren't the same ones that were there. It seems to be quite a transition in the what they call the – I've heard referred to as kind of like legacy trees, that ones that were expecting to be here 50, 60, 100 years. Right. You're looking at just, you know, the palette does change in what's available throughout the, you know, the industry over the years. We're planting different trees now than what we were planting, you know, in the 60s and the 70s. So, yeah, when you're walking around like that, I remember that event. It's like you're doing a walking risk analysis the whole time, you know, wondering what people are seeing when, when you're walking around like that. So, yeah, it's just looking at different species and how, I mean, we do look how the climate is changing, how our temperatures are changing, and what species are going to be here for the long haul and trying to make those decisions. So I asked that question or brought that story into play because I'm, I'm going to ask a, the impossible question. What's your perfect tree for Arizona? <laughs> the perfect tree for Arizona? I mean, I get clients that ask me that all the time and it ends up being the one, the plastic one in the pot on the backyard, right? <laughs> For Arizona right now, it's going to depend. I'm going to go back to the default. It depends on the space. What's your purpose and the value that you're looking at for your property? That's going to help determine what your perfect tree is going to be. I mean, it could be an evergreen. It could be deciduous. Um, Me, I like desert ironwood. That's my favorite tree here in the desert. Um, It's not for everybody. Um, but there's some good shade trees out there, some smaller stature trees for patio homes. And I'm going to say it really depends on the value and the benefit you're looking for. And we're also looking at water management, too. You know, And so a lot of what the industry is growing and what we're trying to plant, too, is, is something that's going to be more drought tolerant. And I know you're familiar with the Champion Tree Program. You were just mentioning you got to... Uh, recently visit the Champion Juniper that the Granite Mountain Hotshot saved Mm -hmm. and the Granite Mountain Fire. And there's a nice memorial there for uh, those fire, those hotshots. Have you ever visited the Ironwood Champion tree? There is a large Ironwood Champion that's off of the road going um, by Lake Pleasant. And um, I was out there about four or five years ago. Beautiful tree. It's not far from the road, actually. Um, nice little hike there, but yeah, it's a beautiful tree. It is, and it is my favorite desert tree, uh, a mature ironwood is. But like you said, not for everyone. I've tried to get them to grow, and it's it's just like it takes. They are slow. They are. And so then my uncles, I'm like, man, you've got these beautiful ironwoods, but I know these weren't here when you built. How much do they cost? He's like, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. <laughs> I was just working with yeah. some clients that we transplanted some large box trees. You know, and that takes a crane and, you know, salvage material from a development project. And, yes, you don't want to know. <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> Surprisingly, with, with good water, they grow faster than you think. <laughs> well, we've got a caller on the line who wants to join the conversation, calling from quite a distant location. Good morning and welcome to the program. 
Hello, Sarah and Richard and Romy and Rosie and Jennifer. This is John Eisenhower calling from North oh, Carolina. Hi. Good morning, John. <laughs> hi, John. Oh, it's so nice to be able to live stream from anywhere in the country. And, yeah, just listening to the broadcast today, I thought I just need to call in and say hello and uh, and just tell you, you guys are doing a great job. Loving to hear the all the information about favorite trees and how to cover them during the frost and fall fertilization. It's all good. Now, in North Carolina, that, that, that tree canopy is a little different than the desert. Have you? When was the last time you saw the sun? Well, this is really pretty nice today. We we just hiked up a, a scenic. Uh, we just left Asheville. We're actually going to visit my daughter in eastern Tennessee. So it's about an hour and 45-minute drive to Tri-Cities. And we just stopped at this scenic overlook and hiked up, and it's just incredible. Just nothing but a tree canopy. The whole, uh, the whole vista, the whole horizon is just. Uh, uh, fall colors are just starting in now, and it's looking really beautiful. Now, if you're new to the broadcast, uh, John Eisenhower is actually the gentleman that started the Talking Trees Hour, and yeah. uh, he's, as you mentioned, uh, spending a lot of time with family and traveling right now. Do you guys know? the name of that place that's you're really close to it john and it's a tourist attraction you can hike up it and from there you can see seven different states all from the same stone mountain maybe lookout mountain i think it's lookout mountain yeah. Yeah. lookout mountain yeah are y'all it's gonna in the ozarks it is I, I, chattanooga uh, yeah i think it's farther it, it's hey he's doing some forest bathing huh <laughs> That's yeah, that's what, what John did. John's. You're, you're looking for yeah. forest bathing right now. I think that's what you're into this morning. <laughs> I think we're a ways away from Chattanooga, but we're doing some forest bathing for sure today. We just saw a couple of new plants. We just took some pictures. We got that plant app where you just put your what's it called again? Picture this. Picture this. Yeah, it's yeah, a nice app. We just it's so cool. You can just take a picture of of a, of, it, of the leaves or the flowers, um, any kind of morphological uh, identifiers and it just gives you the, the, the botanical name, the, the common name, and it's pretty cool. We're just uh, enjoying some new, new new flora for sure. Well, thanks for taking a minute to call in on your travels, safe travels, and I assume you're not traveling alone? No, my dear wife, Kim, is here. She says, don't introduce me on the call. <laughs> Hi, Kim. <laughs> well, I figured that, which is exactly why I said it. <laughs> No, we are. We actually um, are headed to um, to my daughter's place. She's got the LSU Tennessee game uh, um, all dialed up, um, ready to watch mm. today. So we have some conflicting loyalties here. I know the big uh, Romero families are big LSU fans, and that's why. And we've in. got a bunch of Vols over here, <laughs> volunteers that are uh, rooting for for Tennessee this morning. Well, I wasn't going to say anything about it, but since you brought it up, we were talking last night just a little bit of nostalgia. The, one of my favorite games I ever experienced in Death Valley and Baton Rouge was when Tennessee came ranked number 11th, and I don't even think we were ranked at the time. This was in 2000. It was like, uh, September 30th, and we beat them in overtime. And I, I remember that fourth and uh fourth and goal for the volunteers at, in the fourth quarter. And from where I was sitting, I could just see the pass perfectly. I'm like, it's not not going to happen. And uh, it was defended. They knocked it to the ground, and we tore the goal post out of the ground. And after that, uh, <laughs> went back to the next game. 
there was armed security making sure nobody got out of the stadium onto the ground. The, the college didn't have a, a sense of humor about paying for the new goalpost again. <laughs> no, that, that's, that can only happen maybe once, and then they got to put some security in place. <laughs> so, well, well, I just love you guys. Um, great broadcast, and we'll, we'll catch you next time around. Okay. Good job. Be safe. Sounds good. Right. Remember, it's only a game. Don't cry when it's over. All right. <laughs> Well, that was a nice surprise, John uh, Eisenhower. He was the, again, the kind of the, who started the Talking Trees Hour. And we've got uh, two very qualified arborists so in his place today. So let's talk a little bit more about that forest bathing, huh, Richard? No, forest bathing, if you're not familiar with it, I mean, it comes from Japan, basically, was the impetus of forest bathing. And there it's called Shirin-yoku. And there's actually a whole institute of forest bathing. Um, it's very well known and practiced throughout the universities and the um, population there. And I know it sounds kind of funny and everybody's like, okay, we're running naked through the forest, um, which you can do. But generally, it's just getting out into the forest and using all five of your senses to really take in and bathe in what's around you. It's not necessarily hiking. It's more of a casual stroll. And I like to say it's what you call noticing. You're really seeing, feeling, hearing, tasting. Smelling. Smelling. What's around you, you know, whether it be the wildlife, where it's the trickle of water, the water blowing through the leaves. What word did John teach us? Scytherism? Slithering. Scythering. Scytherism is the sound of wind through the trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. it just, and, and it just changes the velocity and the tones just change just sitting there listening to that. It's amazing. And let me just bring this up because I was sent a notice to uh, this week uh, bringing it home from North Carolina. The gondola at the Arizona Snow Bowl is open. The colors are changing. It's been hit with its first little frosting of snow. If you want to do a little forest bathing right now, run up to Humphreys Peak. Run up to Humphreys Peak. This, this, would, be, this would be a good time to do it. And, you know, step a few feet off the trail and sit on a fallen log and just take in the the majesty of the forest. And leave your phone in the car. The whole thing about it is important. <laughs> it's yeah. really, you know, that's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. But you need to leave your electronics oh, yeah. behind. Oh. That's why you're not really hiking. It's just a stroll. It doesn't have to be far. But just so you can really unplug, so to speak, and just really get back in tune. Yeah, as much as I see people relying on GPS on their cell phone, I don't think many people would make it back out of the forest if they didn't take it. So, oh, there's but, an app like for said, that. Tie, tie up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's turn it off. You can put it in your backpack and turn it off. Or, uh, you know, tie a string to a tree and it's a hundred yard string, you know, <laughs> go out your hundred yards and that way you can come back. Cause it is, that is one thing I always loved about being in the forest. You can walk a certain way and you turn around and you're like, where'd I just come from? Mm-hmm. Now, how, walking back looks all different. It completely from different. Out. Yeah. And Rosie was talking about Humphrey's Peak, but, uh, Flagstaff actually has a website that they put together called Leafometer. And if you just type that mm-hmm. into your search engine, Check your leafometer, and it'll tell you the color of the leaves from Oak Creek Canyon all the way up to Humphreys Peak, so you can go and see the different fall colors. And it goes from, you know, obviously green all the way to like a a, a really rich red color from the 
It's great when you get behind Humphreys going up to the Grand Canyon that oh, way when all the aspen yes. little groves are on the back. That is just fantastic. And they're turning yellow and golden. No shortages of places to go. Uh, what do you call it? Forest washing? Forest bathing. Forest bathing. Forest bathing. We should go. I'll set us up a trip. Sounds good. Let's, let's forest bathe. So tall a tree, so small a man. A man may grow for all he's worth, but only trees are down to earth. So tall a tree, so small a man. And Amy Esposito has been on the show with me here before. From Trees Matter. Uh-huh. You remember her? I do. Okay. And we've got Emilio who wants to join the conversation and talk about palm trees. Good morning, Emilio. Welcome to the... Oh, how are you? Fine. Yeah. Good. And I've from... got a... Go ahead. Okay. I live here in Tucson, you know. I got a palm tree that, uh, when I bought the house, they told me it was a Mexican palm, so I said, well, it's not going to grow too big, but evidently they must have made a mistake and told me uh, a lie because it's it's up there about 30 feet high in the air now. And I just had it trimmed, and the guy said uh, he kicked the trunk of the tree, the palm tree, and it's all loose, and uh, I, I, I don't, I'm kind of afraid it. Is that any danger of that, that falling on the house or, or something like that? I'm not sure. What do you mean by loose? Is it like the roots? Palm is the roots trunk, are is it shaking or is it just the... the... Tree, he, he kicks it and it's all loose. And uh, I was going to say, well, maybe I'll cut all that off. But if I do it, I know that if you cut, a, a you know, the candium or, or the cambium of the tree, it'll all around, it'll kill it, right? Right. So are you kind of looking at like, um, you know, the root hairs around the base of some of the older trees will kind of peel that bark up. It'll push it up and it's just like some loose stuff or or is are we talking about the there. whole trunk is moving when you move it? The, the whole of the, the, I don't know how to put it, it's like a blanket that's on there and, it, and you can kick it and it, it fall. you know, it's real loose. Yeah, I don't think that's a problem. No, it doesn't seem like it is a problem. You're talking about a Mexican fan palm is um, what you have. And, um, yes, and they will get quite tall. It just sounds like that's just some extra boots from where the fronds have been cut in the past couple years. And um, you can kind of peel that off of there. Um, and that's what you're talking about being loose. Now, if you're like kicking it and your foot's going into it, well, then, yes, you've got some decay going there, kind of a loose. But otherwise, that doesn't really sound like that's a problem. We appreciate the call. I'm glad to uh, hope that eases your mind. We have a bulletin we, we need to get to we, oh, with, yes. between the frost protection and the tree of the month and forest bathing. And, John, we haven't even got to it, but there's a, a pretty neat, unique pancake dinner coming up it is it's pancakes um breakfast for dinner um amy esposito's been on here on the show with me and she's the executive director for trees matter and what trees matter is doing is planting trees in schools in areas of the city that have no canopy and the real goal of the organization is to plant trees and so they have a fundraiser coming up and it is I believe October 28th, and it's pancakes for dinner. And so at that um, at that event, they give out the McPherson Award, and that's pretty special. And that's for people that um, I could read the, the stuff on it, but you know 
Yeah, Mr. McPherson, I worked with him in downtown Phoenix for a number of years. Um, very strong advocate for planting and caring for trees in, you know, densely urban areas. And um, really was a champion for helping out a lot of the neighborhoods there. And so they put an award after him and named it for a volunteer in the, you know, urban Phoenix community that's really doing the work of um, helping get the word out about the benefits and values of trees. And they usually recognize them at this. It's a very tasty event. I would oh, invite people to Oh, and it's made with there. mesquite it's flour. It's mesquite flour yeah, pancakes. Yeah, that's what makes it really fun and special. But it's also a fundraiser for Trees Matter, and we're trying to increase our canopies as much as we can. And, again, that is Friday, October 28th, and you can get more of that at Trees Matter. Yep, go on their website. They had all the information. And we're getting close to our holiday season, and y'all have uh, started offering a holiday light service. Well, this is, I think, my my second year or third year, anyway, I did a ranch for a couple of years. I had just a great time doing that. But holiday decor is something you do for yourself. You know, you want to drive in your driveway and you want to look at trees and you want to see the sparkle. And it's just, it's a gift that you give yourself. And Save a Tree does decor. Um, we started up in Denver and we do the Denver Botanical Gardens. Um, so um, it's it's really nice stuff. And it's commercial grade. And what Save a Tree offers is a service. So we will come and put up your lights. Um, we'll maintain them through the season. If a light bulb goes out, timers go out, whatever, we'll come and take them off, and we'll put them in a box with your name on them. So um, we, it, it's just a fun thing for me. I enjoy it because it's so pretty. <laughs> and it's it's just a, a great thing to do for yourself. So is that like called the Frank Griswold service from Save a Tree? What, uh, what? It's called holiday decor. <laughs> holiday decor. Uh, I yeah. need a little more pizzazz in that name. Yeah, no trees, <laughs> roof lines, whatever you want to do. It's it's just it's a gift for yourself. And it's, it's you said a gift for yourself that hits home because the year I didn't put lights up in their trees, it just it never felt like the season. But I mean it. it right. The way I mean, we've got it down to you know how we how we like it, and if it's not there, it just doesn't ever feel like. Well, like Richard and I were talking about it because I I do my own lights and I like brought them from my other house, and so it's like nothing matches. And it when I I do the decor with Save a Tree, and then I go and I look at my lights, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks terrible. <laughs> but you should um, hire Save a Tree. <laughs> I I know, I know, I should. But it's really nice to have them around your home. And like we were speaking earlier, it's also frost protection. Yeah. So you can, you know, use it. It has twofold um, purpose there. But And could you leave them up all year long? If you're going to, you're going to have to adjust them because of how you put them in the tree or around your plants. Um, you just don't want to leave them all year and not adjust them at all. That will hurt the tree. And how does somebody get a hold of Save a Tree? Um, our phone number is 602-788-0005, and you can have a, an arborist come out and look at your trees and help you with your holiday decor. 